So the media learned via a press release that a typewritten note had been found on the, on the night of the murders under the windshield wiper of the Rolls Royce. Oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. I love it when they leave notes. I know. Its contents reinforced the fear that yet another hippie attack was happening. <laughs> One reporter, Cliff Johnson, took the release into the hip community Wednesday evening to ask questions. So like, the murders happened on a Monday. So then on a Wednesday, he went into the community to ask questions. His enterprising act turned out to be uh, fortuitous. And even as the note was appearing for the first time in the press, the police were on a productive lead already. Three men from a local hard rock hangout um, call on Front Street known as the Catalyst, which had actually been threatened several times with a bombing, had conferred with a private investigator after reading the press release and decided to come forward for what they knew. I know, and I'm going to get to what the, the what it says. So, District Attorney Peter Chang met with them during the early morning hours on Thursday. And that same day, October 22nd, the Centennial published a press release with the contents of the note that had been found on the car. Are you ready? Halloween 1970. <laughs> Halloween 1970. Today, World War III will begin as brought to you by the people of the free universe. From this day forward, any one question or company of persons who misuses the natural environment or destroys, same will suffer the penalty of death by the people of the free universe. Okay. I and my comrades from this day forth will fight until the death or freedom against anything or anyone who does not support natural life on this planet. Materialism must die or mankind will. And then there's these cards. Knights of Wands, Knight of Cups, Knife, Knight of Pinnacles, Knight of Swords. kind of spelled it so it looks a little bit like testicles. Yeah. Or pentacles, like A-C-L. Like pentacle? Like uh, five, a five? Like a pentagon? Uh, I don't know. Not a pentagon. Pentagram? Pentagram? Like a five star? What do the witches make? Uh, Like a pentagram. pentagram. Okay, that's what I'm guessing it might be. So those who knew a tarot deck, tarot card deck, understood, according to Jason Solch of the Senatal, that the knights symbolized the elemental power. Schultz was quoted, Wilma, Wilma, Ma of Sacred Grove. Apparently a new age establishment in Santa Cruz. So this is like a direct quote to the effect that the Knight of Wands represented acting out to transform the world. Knight of Cups was acting in a heartfelt manner. The Knight of Pentacles referred to a methodical being methodical in one's quest. And the Knight of Swords represents air, meaning using intelligence and logic in a cerebral fashion, sometimes combative. Well, that is some deep shit. I know. I'm like, huh? I mean, I I didn't follow hardly any of that. No. I mean, you, that is the brain of a a distorted mind. Yeah, I don't know anything about tarot cards. Yeah. Never had a tarot card reading. I know. I'm not into it, but still, yeah. like, just to apply this to a family that lives down the street from you is. Yeah, yeah. So the murder arson incident appears to have been planned with this finding of this note or this typewritten. The three men who met with Chang told him that they were acquainted with someone who expressed sentiments consisting with those in the note. Like, 
I met this crazy ass bastard who was spouting off some shit like this. <laughs> and you know probably how that conversation went down. Yeah. Yeah. During hikes, this person often talked about ripping off materialist. He seemed rather zealous. They hadn't taken him very seriously, but when they had read the note that evening before, one man reported um, that he had paled and said, this is right on, right on, man. Yet they were afraid that giving his name would bring his wrath against them. So they knew he was crazy, but they were like, almost like a little scared of him. It sounds like to me. Yeah. He sounded kind of creepy as hell. Right. So since he was a loner and might not have revealed his ideas to other people, you know, they were just like a little, mm, will he know it was us? So they can see, will he come after us? These informants were, were hesitant to turn in a brother. Still, they believed they had to do something. In recent weeks, they said this man had dropped a lot of revolutionary talk on their head. Now, why are they calling him a brother? Just because they all hang out together? I or know, maybe they're kind of hippie-ish too. And is that like a thing? No, but they don't they do? Are they like in a union? <laughs> call people brother? That's kind of weird. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. So eventually they gave in and they gave up their friend's name. They revealed... Good. That John Lenny Frazier, 24, a.k.a. John Lenny Pascal, Pascal, and that he lived in this cow shack downhill from Otal's property. His mother, Pat Pascal, a rabbit breeder, owned the property, rented out some of the dilapidated buildings um, that were on the property to college students. Frazier was a vegetarian who collected guns and did drugs, who person whose personality seemed to have changed quite a bit in the in the recent weeks and really this is kind of the age when schizophrenia starts manifesting i mean sometimes mm -hmm. it goes does a little bit earlier but this is really when young men really start falling apart with it yep around 20 you know 24 you know especially if he's doing drugs yeah and the kind of drugs that he was doing he was doing lsd yeah. and yeah. So that really does mess with i mean any kind of drug will do it but that will definitely especially yeah. any kind of yeah the informants described him as having longish blonde or long blondish hair a full beard short stature and the last known sighting of Frazier had been October 14th, walking away from the Otal's property. At that time, he had been wearing a bay straw hat with red, white, and blue hat band, dark trousers, and a green coat. He also had on moccasins, though he often went bare. Police did not tell the press whether Frazier was one of the three young people sought in connection with the stolen vehicle, although two persons had reportedly found in the search area who did fit that description, but whatever became of questioning them. So on Thursday morning, the police went looking for Frazier at a shack. They found that he had rigged a cable and plank drawbridge over a steep ravine to make it difficult for anyone to come visit him. So this, this dude's ingenious with his booby traps. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> were you in the military, dude? But he wasn't. <laughs> So uh, he wasn't home when they went there. While outside of his six by, he was right, his six by six foot shack that looked like it was totally decrepit, inside was carpeted clean and more presentable. So it, it looked like a shack on the outside, but inside was a little bit more livable than it appeared. It was a bare half mile, a bare half mile, barely a half mile from the Otal's residence. So like I said, early in the beginning, he could like see them from where. Right. Um, it was clear that Frazier could look through the trees and see. 
um, posting men to wait for him. So they posted some deputies there at the little shack and they waited around 20 hours. The police had, um, they had him in custody by Friday morning, October 25th. So it didn't take that much time to get him. Uh -uh. Yeah. So apparently he, he did had, had slipped past them during the night and gone inside and went to sleep. Oh, (laughs) it's like very comical. As the sun came up, they went in, found him in bed. He did not resist. All the Did he know they were out there? Yeah. Okay. A San Jose reporter wrote erroneously that a gun battle had ensued, but that didn't happen. Um, and his only words upon being taken into custody were to ask for a glass of water. I don't know. Maybe this was like a lucid moment for him. So he was like, see, man. Yeah. So nevertheless, the police had not given up on their, um, on their suspicion that more than one person was involved, but it seemed unlikely that one, because it seemed unlikely that one lone gunman would be able to take down five right. people. Yeah. Exactly. So they were still looking for others as they were talking to Frazier. Um, at one o'clock that day, Frazier was placed on a lineup and one witness was able to identify him as the person driving the station wagon on Tuesday morning. Three others identified Frazier as the person they had seen as well. Two others claimed that he had been driving so erratically that he nearly ran them off. So he wasn't like trying to stay incognito or under the radar, it seems. So John Frazier was arraigned before the um, municipal court judge, Donald O. May, on October 25th on five counts of murder. He stood with his hands tightly crammed into his uh, or denim overall or coveralls, and he was very agitated, which he's probably wanting some drugs. On Fraser's behalf, a deputy public defender, James Jackson of Brighton and Jackson Law Firm, entered a plea of not guilty and looked into getting him a psychi- psychi- uh, psychiatric, I imagine so. The police had lifted fingerprints from the Rolls Royce from a beer can still intact in the incinerated home, and they were able to match those to Fraser. So he just brought his own beer to the show. Or took one out of the fridge, maybe. I don't know. Um, they also said that his fingerprint on the typewriter inside the home. So he typed out the letter there in the house. He was also um, the only person against whom they did have, like, he was the only person they had any kind of proof. Right. No and other they- evidence. There was no other evidence that pointed out anyone else who was there. No, they're just having a hard time believing yeah, but that was the same problem that with the Washington D.C. murders. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that how did one person do this? So the whole time, and that was the guy's defense. It's like you, even the guy, even the prosecutor said that they were looking for multiple assailants mm-hmm. because no, not one person could just do it by yeah. himself. Yeah. That didn't work out for him, did it? No. So, um, so the typewriter was inside the home. He was the only person against whom they had any proof, and a local paper printed a statement to the effect that the reports of three young, long-haired people being in the green car had already been proven to be false. Yet, the reporters also pointed out that police had not explained the mystery of three sets of footprints leading from the train tunnel to the river. But I could see where if you're in a town where there's lots of hippies or homeless people, and they have like these little campsites, you might have... I mean, it's a train, sure. a train depot type place. There might be lots of footprints. I don't, I don't sure. follow that line. I could see that. I mean, people still jump trains. I yeah. Mean- yeah. I mean, that's, they sure do. So there was still more information that was coming forward. They went to the boys' school and 
it was revealed that the wife did not pick them up that day as usual on October 9th and that the school called Dr. Ota and he and Mrs. Calderwater left his office at different times to retrieve the boys from their respective schools. Oh, that's why she was at the house. Yes. That meant they arrived at the family's home at different times. The lone gunman theory was beginning to make more sense at this point, especially if Mrs. Ottawa or Ottawa, (laughs) Ota had been home alone when the killer arrived. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly what happened in the other one. Exactly. So with a gun, he could have um, subdued one person and then two at a time. You know, so if she arrived, if she was there, he could subdue her. Then let's say Mrs. The Virginia or the... um, the secretary. The secretary shows up, the um, paddle waddler. She shows up, seduce, subdues a 12-year-old boy and her. Yeah, but and I'm wondering if she was a surprise in the whole mix. Probably, because she's not, she doesn't work from their home or anything. But it worked out probably that you could subdue two females and two, you know, and a child. And mm-hmm. then the husband comes home and sees his wife, his secretary, and his child tied up. And it's probably a lot easier to go ahead and sub- right. unless he ambushed them. All right. So um, with a gun, he could have subdued one person, then two people at a time. A close friend of Frazier's who remained anonymous told reporters that he seemed like the last person who would do anything like that. Isn't what they always do, don't they? Yeah. He must have played two different lives. He talked about Frazier as a reliable auto mechanic, a family man with a wife and a five-year-old child, but said that he had lately adopted this hippie lifestyle and sometimes talks in ways that made no sense. All of a sudden, he seemed to just like just another wired up hippie. So because he got, you know, he started doing the drugs and he was wired and he was- And and then you also have that manifestation of the schizophrenia. And with all that on top of it, I imagine he just, he didn't know what was going on with himself either. He wore a strange symbol around his neck on a chain and often went without shoes and even without a last name. He wanted to be left alone. Reporters, you know, of course, started, you know, hitting up everybody under the sun, you know, old friends, family members, anyone that knew him. And they heard conflicting reports that from never a problem to rebellious to tough guy. But you know, that's how it always is. There's always going to be that one guy, that one person who says, oh, he was great. And there's going to be that one guy who was like, I fucking hated that dude. You know, there's always different ways people just different see you. So his um, estranged wife did come forward who, you know, she lived in that area as well. And she did offer some information to police about his movements during the days before the crime. She, uh, she had helped him clean out his shack on Saturday and had spent the night with her. He had spent the night with her leaving on Sunday afternoon with a loaded pistol, a pair of binoculars and an orange backpack loaded with um, supplies. I must said surprise with supplies. He had left behind his driver's license, a book of his favorite subject, the tarot, saying that he would not need them any longer. Dolores also told authorities that the stolen green car had been left in the area where Frazier often went to swim and hike. D.A. Chang quickly enlisted her in a, the catalyst, which is that bar, continued mm-hmm. to receive bomb threats with notes to the effect that only good hippies are, the only good hippies are dead hippies. That's a little extreme. So the three men who had given the police the critical information about Frazier issued a statement in the centennial in which they expressed the sediments of the hip 
community. We are all citizens of Santa Cruz County, and we are all concerned about what happened this earlier this week and what might happen if hatred and hostility grow, continue to grow between straights and long hair. And it is foolishness to mistrust each other now. I mean, you could just take those two words, straights and long hairs, and drop any other two words from our own time in there, and it would be the same thing. Yep, yep. No, I was thinking the exact same thing. You could, you could, you know, you could drop in Republicans and Democrats. You could drop in blacks and whites. I mean, just whatever. It's the same thing. Just straights is used differently than, you know, say more of our. No, I know. Okay. Wait, like straight laced people versus. I get it. You You don't ever go straight. You always go forward. Okay. I know these times. I got it, girl. <laughs> so high intensity lights were installed around the sheriff's office to protect prisoners from vigilante, from the prisoner from vigilante. And the police maintained strict surveillance. The community tensions were palatable. So they were like ready to list. Yeah. Although the authority was sure that they finally caught their man, they were puzzled as to why Frazier would have acted would have acted that way like what pushed him over the edge from reports offered by his acquaintances he clearly had planned the murders and he had targeted the october 19th as the date big plans would have would start happening like so why that date right what's the significance of that date right why such a slaughter is what people were asking and did you look at did you see if there was anything or did anybody have any ideas i mean they kind of get into it a little bit so in the meantime, court dates approached mental health experts were already at work to unlock the secrets of this apparent deranged killer. You know, like he had to be completely insane. There had to, you know, there has to be a logical explanation for why he did this. So on October 26th, one week after the murders, Frazier's court-appointed attorney, James Jackson, announced that Frazier was not sane and that his act may have been as a result of head injuries. I've said that a lot, head injuries, Mm -hmm. as he received in the auto accident six months earlier. So remember how I said, and like a lot of serial killers have head injuries. So Jackson had been in contact with the psychologist, David Marlowe. For the purpose of assessment, Marlowe had seen Frazier on four separate occasions, and he reported that Frazier did not think or act normally. Without commenting on whether he might, uh, this might be due to drugs, um, what this might be due to, or changing drugs, Jackson said that he would hold a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. And so that's where they're going with this. However, he would I mean, begin, as they should. Yeah, he would begin his defense with a plea of innocence. Um, and based strictly on facts, he believed that Peter Chang had a shaky case and that he claimed Frazier denied being involved in the murders. So Frazier saying, I don't have anything to do with these murders. And, it, you know, and as always, it's on the burden of the state to prove if the person. Uh, okay. Is- so is he pleading? Okay. So let me just get this right because I, maybe I'm misunderstanding. The DA is saying that he's guilty, but insane. No, the, his, his the defense. Yeah. So, but, but Frazier is denying that he did it at all. So he's not pleading yeah. not guilty. He's pleading guilty by insanity. Well, he's saying, he's saying hold a plea of not guilty by reason of it. But then you just said he denied being involved in the murders. But not guilty by reason. Of it. Yeah. So he's saying he didn't do it, but the defense is like, nah, man, he's just crazy. He did it, dude. He's just crazy. He's crazy. Okay. So Jackson told reporters that he had learned that on Sunday, a private investigator hired by his firm 
turned up evidence that raised several questions. In the shed near where Frazier had been living, they found an orange backpack loaded with supplies, a 45 caliber pistol. That was not the weapon that, weapon that had been used. But remember, his wife said he had this orange backpack and then he left with a loaded gun. In addition to the original statements made by the DA office, the DA's office, they found that Frazier's finger, fingerprints were on the typewriter in the home, was unfounded, and that there was no evidence that turned up that in Mrs. Ottawa's stolen car that incriminated his client. So as far as he could see, the prosecutors didn't have how much to go on. So it's a lot of hearsay or um, right. circumstantial, I guess. Mm-hmm. So nevertheless, Chang intended to go to the grand jury anyway. So um, he's taking this to court, but he doesn't really have the stuff he's saying he has? Chang is the district attorney. Yeah, I know. But there are no, are you saying that there are no foot fingerprints or anything? Well, the, the defense attorney is saying that there was nothing founded, that the that that was all unfounded. That's what the mm-hmm. district attorney, but Chang said, no, well, anyway, even if this is like not, if it's just circumstantial evidence, we're still, he didn't care. He said that he had to, as many as 25 witnesses, but he ran into a glitch when Doris, Dolores Frazier balked at testifying against her. So there's an issue there. Frazier was brought into his preliminary hearing, which was continued for two days to give the grand jury time to consider the case. Chang went ahead without Mrs. Frazier. You know, he was just, there's not any reason. It doesn't sound like he's done his homework very much. Well, I mean, he thinks he has enough to get a grand jury, just taking it to the grand jury. Yeah. So Dolores was escorted to the court by the defense, defense's private investigator to sit in the spectator section. Frazier turned to smile at her and she returned his smile. He seemed um, to reporters to be relaxed, contrary to his previous demeanor in court where he was like really agitated. At one point, he called out to his wife and said, it'll be all right, baby. It's kind of sad. It's almost like he's like a different person. Like, yeah, I'm wondering if he's on meds. Possibly. Serious meds back then. Oh, yeah. Jackson, um, his defense attorney, asked for bail. The the judge was like, yeah, I don't fucking think so. And ordered Frazier to remain at the county jail. On October 28th, the grand jury returned a true bill indicting Frazier on five counts of murder. The next day, he entered his plea of innocence. The judge imposed a gag order to prevent um, any information from leaking to the media. A trial date was then set for January 25th, 1971. And that proved to be highly optimistic. I guess, you know, there's mm-hmm. something to be said for a speedy trial. On January 9th, in jail, Frazier slashed his arm with a razor and was taken to the hospital for stitches. Ten days later, Jackson announced that he would t- that he would modify Frazier's plea from not guilty to not guilty by reason of it. The judge appointed two psychiatrists to provide a sanity assessment to the court, and the trial date was postponed. Okay, so when you say not guilty by reason of insanity, you're essentially admitting that, yes, I did this, but I was insane. Yes. So now he's pretty much admitting, yeah, I killed all these people. But I was not in my right state of mind. Right. I was insane when I did it. I didn't know what I was doing. Jackson petitioned for a change in venue, even as the county worried about the cost of the trial in light of what's going on in LA with the Manson murders and like all of that. I mean, so really, I mean, I I would think that if I was an attorney, I would ask for a change of venue too, because of everything else that was going on at that time. Absolutely. Yeah. Because the whole atmosphere there is anti-long hair. Yeah. So the, the judge ordered the proceedings to take place closer to San Francisco in Redwood City. Judge 
Charles Francic presided over the trial, which began October of 1971 with a four-man, eight-woman jury. Due to the gag order and the lack of newspaper documentation during that time, the records were very sporadic because there wasn't social media. So they didn't have everything, you know. So what follows are the highlights from, as described by the Santa Cruz Centennial. Prosecutors made their case with witnesses who knew Frazier with documentation about the Otas. For example, Frazier had told someone that he had been inside the Ottawa home or the Otel's home and had taken some binoculars, which we already knew. Um, one of the daughters testified that a pair of binoculars was missing from their home. There was also physical evidence that tied Frazier to the crime scene. Besides the fingerprints in the stolen car and the beer can, they had an expert testify that a metallic substance found on Frazier's knife was consistent with the wire cords that had been cut in the Ottawa's in the Otel's home. Four weeks into the trial, jurors were taken by bus to visit the partially reconstructed home where bloodstains were still present. Oh, the place where the train had been hit, that had hit the abandoned car. Okay, wait, bloodstains were still present, like by the pool? It doesn't say, so still present. So that leads me to believe that they weren't shot by the pool, that maybe he shot them in the house and dragged them to the pool. Um, took him to the drawbridge, the shack where Frazier had been living and apprehended. He followed um, the jury under heavy armed guard. At one point near his former home, he stopped to play with a puppy, and then he suddenly kicked at a rusty car. He's probably like, fuck. <laughs> Dear doggy. No, <laughs> no. During the last days of November, the jury convicted Frazier of five murders. During the last days of November, the jury convicted Frazier of five murders. Then came a second phase in which Fraser's sanity became the issue. Dr. David Morrow offered testimony for the defense. He had spoken with Fraser for 35 to 40 minutes in the past year, had three different versions um, of what Fraser claimed to have been doing on October 9th. In late November 1970, Frazier apparently told Marlowe how the murders had been done. Mm -hmm. It was right to state this in the court since they were attempting to show that Frazier had been um, had been psychotic at the time. Of Absolutely. The and both of us have seen grown men in psychotic states. It's yes. the scariest fucking thing. Like, like yes. hello, you can wave your hand in front of their eyes and they are in a totally different reality. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Living some weird counter world that like, like they're in a different dimension yeah hello yeah apparently voices from god had commanded him to seek vengeance on those who rape the environment that afternoon he went to the otel's residence and found only virginia at home he had a 35 revolver 35 caliber revolver 38, 38. sorry a 38 like i guess a 38 special type revolver which he held on her as he used scarves that he found around the home to tie her wrists together. He told her that she was evil. Looking around, he found the 22 caliber pistol. As um, Virginia remained bound, Frazier waited for the rest of the family to return. He was quite upset to see animal skins inside the home. So that probably just set him off even yeah. more. A terrible violation of nature. He planned to kill each person as they arrived. When Dorothy drove up bringing Taggart home. They walked right into the trap. Frazier soon had them tied up as well. It wasn't long before Victor brought home his other son, Derek, and they too fell victim. Had they all arrived at once, Frazier probably couldn't have carried his plan. Mm -hmm. Frazier took them outside to the edge of the pool um, 
It says, or he took Ota outside, then later brought the others out, where he then lectured them about their materialism and how it had a negative effect on the environment. He accused Victor of ruining the Santa Cruz Mountains. He reported that Victor began to argue with him and tried to bribe him with material things. Um, annoyed, Frazier suggested that they burn down the house together with everything inside. Victor grew angry and began to argue with him. So to shut him up, Frazier shoved him, still bound in the pool as the man tried to get out of the water. Then Frazier shot him three times. Yeah, in front of his family. I know. The others were obviously completely horrified. He asked each one of them if they believed in God. And they said yes. So he told them that they had nothing to be afraid of. He walked behind each one of the helpless victims and shot them in the basement, killing the two women first, then the two boys. In another version, he brought the women out separately and killed them outside. Then he went inside to kill the boys, carried them out to the pool. He also said that he'd arrived that day with three other people and also that he'd met up with two other people later. It's difficult to know really the true of concerning those people and it and it might even be in his own mind convoluted mm -hmm. you right. know maybe he did catch up with three people like the day before or and it's kind of all running together especially right. drugs and he hasn't slept maybe right because i'm going to tell you what those when they get in that psychotic state i mean it can go on for days mm -hmm. so no matter how he ended up shooting them frazier pushed or dropped each victim into the pool just like we speculated. Then he went into the house to type the note that he left on Victor's car. Afterward, he went about setting a fires to the mansion and then fled in the Oldsmobile. Yeah, I'm just, it's just so bizarre to me that he thought that he was going to start some sort of like um, war. Yeah, like some revolution. Of so you said that he's the killer prophet, but did he have any followers? So he was a prophet in his own mind. Yeah. Marlowe ended his account by saying the Fraser stories were mostly disjointed and that he was, he had a, gr he had gross disturbances in his thoughts and feelings. He also had visual and auditory hallucinations with excessive religiosity mm -hmm. as seen by his underlining in the Bible that he carried around with him. Fraser considered himself John from the Bible to whom the Bible of Revelations addressed, and he developed a complex system of beliefs based in occult number systems, astrology, reincarnation, and things of, and themes of immortality. Yeah, all that's definitely schizophrenia. On cross-examination, Chang suggested that Fraser had hoodwinked Marlowe with his delusions, um, indicating that it was all a lie. Marlowe said that the evasion was more his style than outright lying evasion was more a style than just lying about it and mm -hmm. that he did not and he did not budge from his diagnosis now a donald lundy was one of the three forensic psychiatrists who testified um referred to in the newspaper as alienist he had visited fraser on november 17th 1970 and had interviewed fraser's wife relatives and his friends he contended that Frazier was a paranoid schizophrenic who at the time of the murders was incapable of knowing what he was doing wrong. Frazier had told him, this is what Lundy is testifying to, that he was a special agent sent from God to save the earth. His wife had heard these delusions as well during the summer of 1969 and 1970. Apparently, he had grown increasingly more paranoid until he finally broke away from her and their child to go live in the woods. He trusted no one. Under his delusional system, Lundy said the killings of certain people were necessary, thus not wrong. 
in his very mind. interesting so the, and even this was before that car accident right no this was after the car accident so his wife had heard these delusions as well during the summers of 1969 so when was the car accident well remember i i read one it was like in late 69 and then i read somewhere else that all of this happened like the car accident the drug use everything was like six months Okay. Yeah, definitely. And if you're, you get in a car accident and you're in pain, they're giving you some opioids or, you know, something. And then he, I don't know how he stumbled upon or something. Yeah. And all that. Yeah. So Lundy just outright stated he's crazy. Then he amended it to he's unstable. He's too unstable to appreciate society's standard. Like, no, he's trying to say this motherfucker is batshit crazy. Yeah. He doesn't need to be out right now because I'm not even sure like what kind of treatment people with schizophrenia had back then. Like it, it wasn't was, good. It was under a totally different, like, they treat it differently. And they, well, of course, I know a little bit more about it today, but yeah. I mean, I think of, like, one, one that, what's the cuckoo's nest one? Oh, yeah. One flew over the cuckoo nest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that was based off that, like, it's inspired by the mental hospital near us. Is it? Yeah. You oh, know what I'm talking about, right? That. Yeah, I know what, what you're talking about. Yeah. Not the one in our town, the one up the road. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm gonna have to read it because I've, I mean, I've read it before. I'll read it again. Isn't that where Nurse Ratchet's from? I don't remember. Yeah, Nurse Ratchet is from one okay. of the food. All right. So on December 3rd, Frazier arrived with half of his head and face. All right. Like there's pictures. He had okay. hair on one side and like straight down the middle. It's one side is long with a beard and the other side is completely shaved. Was he still in jail at this time? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's going to, that's, that's definitely going to make an impact on the jury because that's so extreme. Like, are you even one of his eyebrows? Are you insane for real? Or are you just trying to make us think that you are, are? You just putting on a show? Yeah. So even one of his eyebrows is gone. Yeah. Marlo explained that Frazier did this. So the jury would think he was faking insanity and they would find him sane and send him to the gas chamber. He did not want to end up in a mental incident, a fascist head factory. Marlowe said that this was just another indication of how distorted his thinking really was. Well, he's probably not wrong. Chang had his own expert testify as well, who had interviewed Frazier for two hours. I just don't know that like one two-hour visit, I mean, unless you were just fucking batshit crazy, that one two-hour visit might not be enough. Yeah, but doesn't doesn't your friend's husband do something like this? My friend's husband. Your friend's husband. Doesn't he go to prisons and uh, interview? I, I mean, we're not saying names or anything. He's a psychologist, yes. He's the psychologist. Yeah. For the He's, he interviews patients and makes a diagnosis, just exactly what this guy is doing. He does that, and he's also a VA psychiatrist. But does he testify in court if need yes. be? All right. So it's the same thing. So he's not going to go and spend how, many, how much time with these people. He's only going to interview them for an hour or two, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, to me, it wouldn't be enough to say somebody deserves a death penalty. But right. if you're insane, you're not, you're not open to that anyway yeah right so he's doesn't he doesn't want to be a mental institution he just wants to be gassed okay so during the second week of december psychiatrist john pashu pashu of agnews state hospital said that fraser suffered from personality disorder not psychosis he was a sociopath not a schizophrenic 
and he did appreciate what he had done and that it was wrong. Thus, he was not legally insane. Not only that, he would not learn from what he had done and therefore was a severe danger to society. I I would just say, you know what, he could be all of those things, definitely. All of the above. And what we do know about people who are in psychosis, states of psychosis, that doesn't mean that's what they are all the time. It could just be an incident one time in their life. So at that time, was he criminally insane because right. of psychosis? It's proving that he was in psychosis. Like, how do you... Right. If I don't know, but there, if they can prove he had schizophrenia, that's crazy enough. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that people with schizophrenia are crazy, but it can definitely make you have crazy is, thoughts. Well, there are different levels of it. There are crazy yeah. ones and there's like borderline. So this doctor considered him intolerant, crafty, and arrogant. He sets his own rules. He disregards the feelings of others. I mean, he said he was a soci- uh, socialist. So he was a sociopath. Mm-hmm. On December 16th, the final phase of the trial was underway. Fraser showed up completely bald, no eyebrows, no hair, no mustache, no beard. Then as the judge instructed the jury, he sat reading... <laughs> reading George Orwell's novel 1984. Earlier, he had been reading a book on mental disorders. He's just trying to be, yeah. Ultimately, the jury was like, you're crazy as a, you're crazy. He's intelligent though, this man. It sounds like it, yes. So ultimately, the jury- He reminds me of of that guy on, did you ever listen to that podcast? Something like with the word shit in it. Shit town, S town. Shit town. Okay, mm-hmm. S town. So and he was good. reminding me of the guy. The uh-huh. was it John? Yeah. He yeah because he was like this too. Mm-hmm. It was such a good a good podcast. That really was. Okay, sorry. Right, so ultimately, the jury found him guilty, sentenced him to death. However, the Supreme Court declared capital punishment unconstitutional in 1976. So Fraser's sentence was commuted to life in prison at San Quentin. In the book, Human Monsters, David Everett writes that Fraser's life was fairly normal. As I stated order, or earlier, he dropped out of high school, was a mechanic, marriage broke up. He became the zealot, you know, everything that I've already, already outlined and that he quit his job to avoid contributing to the cycle of death and that he left his wife on July 4th, 1970. Um, uh, okay, so my question is, is that once he's in prison, though, was he normal? Um, let, me, let me get through this a little bit. So Lundy also points out that while the juvenile facility records, I guess he, he did have like some petty crimes like earlier in his life, even though, he, I mean, he led like a pretty normal life, but he did have some juvenile stuff that mm-hmm. the juvenile facility records make no indication that Frazier had needed any kind of treatment or symptoms. He didn't have symptoms yet for schizophrenia, Okay, um, which often set in the late teens or early adulthood, which we already said. Frazier's evolving obsession and attempt to convert people into disciples. So those three guys, he was trying to like get them on, not so much like really like as a, I'm a, I'm a Jim Jones or a David Koresh, but just to get him to like think the way that he thought. So right. he was trying to constantly. Because he truly believed that God was speaking with him and that that was his destiny was to you know, stop Save the earth. Right. Um, so this says that the day he left his wife to go to the Ottawa estate, or I keep saying Ottawa, like at the Ottawa. Um, 
he talked about the approaching revolution and the need for some materialists to die. So he's still thinking that these materialistic people, I guess if he can't like change their mind, they have to die. Yeah. Well, no, because they're raping the earth and they're. Yep. And that Dolores had tried over the past few months without success to get him into treatment. So she watched helplessly once again as he left on one of his missions. He went about it with a single-minded intent, taking a weapon and using it without hesitation to kill the five people. So remember that Sunday he left her house. Like, I guess I'm on a mission. This is what I got to do. And I think that she probably really saw the crazy or thought he needs help, but one probably didn't know how to help him, how to get him help, or that he would even really do anything. Right. You know, because he'd probably never even raised a hand to her so she really didn't believe well, so I'm, he so he never went to vietnam he was not I, drafted or gone to vietnam or anything no but this is so vietnam like behavior but well it's, kind, it's got a little bit of ptsd in there yeah that's what it sounds know. um lundy um insists that the case of fraser presents a clear example of murder committed within the state of psychosis had people not been so frightened about the Manson-esque cults during that time, they might have been able to better appreciate the influence on Frazier and his untreated mental illness. Because he had all this other crazy shit going on at the same time. He, he was definitely people, mentally ill. I mean, yeah. I'm going to give him that. But. Yes. But you have these other people trying to act all crazy and doing all these crazy things that weren't mentally ill. I think that if that wasn't going on, then people might have been more like, okay, let's try to get him. Well, you know what they did? They, I mean, mental illness is just coming out to be where something we can talk about. Right. And we all suffer. We all have some sort of mental illness at some point or some sort of mental breakdown or whatever. And it's not, that's just part of being human and learning how to handle things. Whereas then it was just shoved under the carpet and then it was ignored. Yeah. So I totally agree. So in 1970, when he was, he was convicted, a sanity trial followed. His antics were kind of like unheard of in the courtroom. So people really didn't like know how to even handle that, you know, with his head being shaved on one side, um, his eyebrow being gone. He still says that this is all why, you know, he was trying to prove he was crazy or that he wasn't. He, he just wanted to be put to death, which right. is, to me, is sad in itself that that's what you want. Like, did he know I'm not ever going to get help, so just kill me? I mean, I don't know. No, I, just, I mean, I think sometimes people just get tired of the voices, you know? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Well, he does. So 35 years later, he carried out that sentence himself, alone in a small cell in Mole Creek State Prison in Ione, some 40 miles southeast of Sacramento, Frazier kills himself. A coroner ruled the death asphyxiation. No details were offered. Frazier was last, was found last way, but not last Thursday, <laughs> um, but it was an, um, he was 62 years. He had been transferred recently out of the intensive mental health program into general population. Oh yeah, he couldn't handle that. He had been, he was physically disabled according to Jane Kahn, a, an attorney who monitors inmates' suicides and purpose. Wow. So it sounds like he was in the mental, in the, you know, the mental ward and then they let him out and. Right. Wow. I, don't know if, I mean, I wonder if he like was still. So if he went to prison, that. if he was, uh, let's see, you said that he was. In so 70, 35 he years later he was in he was convicted in 1970 so that would be 2000 
in 2005, God, going from like a mental health program into general population at mm-hmm. 62. Wow. Oh. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks, Cindy. Thank you yeah. so much. That's That was a good one. That was yes. a really good one. He committed suicide by hanging himself in a cell August 13th, 2009. 2009. Wow. That was a crazy one, wasn't it? I mean, there was a lot to it's that just one. super sad all the way around. And, um, you know, that poor family and what those daughters are living through. It just, to me, it's just sadness for anyone involved in that, honestly. Yeah. Because even his own family, you know, his wife and his child and his parents. And I his can't family. imagine. Yeah, I mean, and even him living with the agony for so long. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Cindy, and thank you to all of our listeners. Thanks for listening to this week's murder. We do appreciate sharing our passion with you, and we always, always thank you for your support. If you want to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating with a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success, but I also want to just say that, you know, we really would appreciate your feedback, and if you have some sort of, like, constructive criticism you know, let us know, shoot us an email, please give us an, shoot us an email, give us some feedback on how we can make ourselves more professional. Um, and you can definitely do that by emailing us at a true crime podcast at gmail.com. Um, but you can also find more information links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages at our website at it wasn't me, truecrime.com. Yes. Thank you. We're so very grateful to spend our time together and share our murder stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it wasn't me.